We're turning to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And if you're visiting for the first time, or at least for the first in a while, you may not know that we're going through Mark's Gospel these Sunday mornings. uh, And we're still in chapter 1, though this is our ninth study today. And our title this morning is The Servant's Authority. And we're looking at verse 21 through to 28. Verse 21 through to 28. And they, and that is, those who Christ had just called to follow him and be fishers of men, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, the Lord Jesus entered into the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now it's very clear from verse 1 to 28 that the paramount theme of these few verses is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's servant. Now verse 21, if you look at it for a moment, and beg your pardon, verse 22, shows that the people were astonished at Christ's doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now that does not mean that the scribes did not have authority, because they did. But there was something significant, something intrinsically different about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ's teachings that made it unique. So what is the difference between the authority that Christ is showing in his teaching and the religious authorities? What was so different that made these people realize that Christ was different? Now, this is vital in order to understand what the text is saying to us this morning. Well, I looked up the Ox- Oxford Concise English Dictionary uh, for authority, and this is the, at least the first definition that's given in it. 1A, authority is the power or right to enforce obedience. The power or right to enforce obedience. So if that's the definition, let us ask, what gave the religious authorities of Christ's day in Palestine, the power or the right to enforce obedience from the people. And the religious authorities were the Pharisees 
and the scribes. But what gave them the right or the power to make people obey them? And the answer is very simple. What gave them right and power for people to obey them was possession. They were in the possession of religious authority. And the legal qualifications that came from that gave them, in some form, the right to judge wrongdoers according to God's law and the additions that they had made to it. And so the people's obedience was motivated by fear. Fear of the power that these religious authorities had because of their position. But there are two types of authority, at least. One is derived from position, but the other comes from respect. I mean an honorable recognition of people that an individual is worthy of our obedience, and therefore, because they're worthy of it, they have a right to it. Now, Jesus had the right to command people's obedience because he was worthy of their obedience. And that's how his authority was different than that that came from position, which was the authority of the scribes and Pharisees. And his authority, Christ that is, is evident in two ways in our portion today. And here's the first. The authority of his word. Let's look at this. The scribes would pride themselves in their position. Their authority was derived from that position, and they held rather the, uh, they held to that position rather than the character that they had and the kind of persons that they were. Let me try and illustrate the type of people these Pharisees and scribes were. They were the type of people to pull rank. What I mean is, like the boss who says, it's, it's only my suggestion now, but remember who's making it. They're bringing their position to bear weight on the commands that they are giving to people. But Jesus, as we see right throughout the Gospels, he never had to say, do you know who's speaking to you? Or after he taught some people, do you realize who I am? It was clear to people who was speaking to them. It was clear to them who he was because he spoke with authority, the Bible says. His words in and of themselves had the sound and weight of authority. Because of that, we read in verse 22 that the people were astonished and amazed. Literally, that word means to strike with panic or shock. One person has called it, they were thunderstruck by the authority that was in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we must ask the question, how were his words authoritative? Well, we have to go right into the scene of the story. He has entered the synagogue early on the Sabbath morning. And the synagogues were teaching institutions where people, the congregation would have been used to the rabbis and the scribes deliberating over the Old Testament law. Every little jot or tittle of that law would be argued and disputed. And so they would spend all their time arguing, debating the tradition of the elders, what they said, 
and how those traditions, ancient as they were, applied to contemporary personal present circumstances in people's lives. One person has put it, the scribes were notorious for droning on mechanically, arguing and debating over the Torah. And often what the scribes would do, and the Pharisees, if they felt perhaps the debate wasn't going as well in their favor as it should, they would bring weight to their argument and their position by citing the great authorities of Jewish theological history. And so scribes and Pharisees were people, religious scholars, who were obsessed with quoting the authorities. So maybe if the argument was over a divorce or marriage, they would say, well, Rabbi Hillel says this. Or maybe over another immoral matter. But on the other hand, Gamaliel says this. Or then Rabbi Eliezer's testimony and witness of the truth is this. And so they would sit for hours in the synagogue debating in this manner and bringing the evidences of these religious authorities. But here was the difference between them and Christ. Christ's words implied that there was no debate permitted, there would be no theological discussion or reflection, and Christ needed no proof for his argument or for what he was proposing because he was the authority. These scribes and Pharisees were trying to draw water from broken cisterns, but Christ's words were like arrows from the Almighty. What Christ was speaking and expressing was not second-hand theology. These were the very words of God. And what Christ, in effect, was doing for these people was he was bringing God to them in the person of himself. And he was bringing God's absolute claim upon their lives to them. And that is what disturbed them so much. The authority that was in his speech. Now, was it only the words and the way that Christ spoke those words that brought authority to Christ's teaching? Well, I think if we, we, we come to that conclusion, we will be greatly mistaken and it will lead us astray somewhat. Yes, there was authority in his words. Yes, there was authority in the manner in which he spoke them. But I think the salient point here in this passage is that the difference between Christ and the scribes was the difference between true authority and false authority. What is that? Well, the false authority that the scribes had, they claimed it themselves. It was only claim from their position. But the authority that Jesus had was exhibited. It was manifested. It was evidenced. It was proved. And Christ manifested both in his claims and in his actions. And so Christ not only displayed his authority plainly in the words that he spoke, but the deeds that he did. And the deeds that he did equaled the words that he spake. And so the authority was in his word. But that, and do you understand what I mean when I say this, that was not enough. 
There had to be authority in his deeds. And this is what we see in this same passage. For this authority in his actions was demonstrated in the deliverance of the man with the unclean spirit. And here we see that a man, verse 23, enters into the synagogue with an unclean spirit. In other words, he was possessed by a demon. Now, grasp the significance of this. Here is a man in a a religious surrounding and he is overwhelmed by a power that is all controlling. Someone has said his personality had been damaged to the point that the demon had usurped the core of his self and even utilized his voice. The demon was speaking through him. Yet we see in this synagogue that this man who was possessed and the spirit who possessed him, both of them were forced to acknowledge the superior authority of Christ's power. Now we will see this in our studies right throughout Mark's gospel. So many occasions of demon possession where Christ uses his authority as the servant of the Lord and casts them out. And tempting as it is just now to talk about the phenomenon of demon possession, which we'll have an opportunity to do later in our studies of Mark, we can't take a detour into that and miss the point, I believe, of what Mark is saying here. The authority of the servant of the Lord was not just exhibited in the words that he spoke, but these mighty actions. And in this specific deed of casting the, uh, a devil out of this man. Now note how his authority and his deeds were exhibited. First of all, his authority was testified by the demon itself. If you look clearly, you see that the train of thought is that once the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 22 began to teach with authority... That in reaction to what Jesus was teaching, the demon made an outburst in verse 24. Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? And in effect, uh, what the demon was saying later on when it says, Art thou come to destroy us? The demon was saying, You have no business with us yet. Leave us alone. Now it's interesting to note before we, we move on that The demon addressed the Lord Jesus as, first of all, Jesus of Nazareth, which speaks of Christ's humanity. And then the demon said that he was the Holy One of God, which speaks in part of his deity. And there is a conflict here implied in the passage. It is this idea that the demonic power that possessed this man understood more clearly who the Lord Jesus was in his perfect humanity, an absolute deity, than these religious rulers, the religious authorities of the day. This demon knew a greater awareness of what the presence of Christ meant. And it's interesting to note the contrast that there often is between the way men address the Lord Jesus in the Gospels and the way that demonic spirits address him in titles. Take sick people, for instance, throughout the Gospels. Take Mark as an example. Mark 7 and verse 8. One sick person appeals to Jesus as Lord. Chapter 9 and verse 17. He is addressed by a sick person as teacher. Chapter 10, verse 47, 48. He is called by another ill person, the son of David. Chapter 10, verse 51. 
another person with ailments calls him master. But when we look at what the demoniacs and the demons themselves speak as titles to him, chapter 1, 24, here he is the only one of God. Chapter 3, 11, a demon calls him the son of God. Chapter 5, 7, the son of the most high God. And these spiritual beings are identifying Jesus of Nazareth as the divine son of God sent into the world to be the savior. Isn't that interesting? James gives us a good commentary on that fact of the different titles between men and demons. He says in James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Can I ask you, do you know who he is? Is he just Jesus of Nazareth to you, a historical religious figure? Or is he God's son? And if you recognize that he is God's son, do you also recognize his authority over you? And that's the difference between the demon and the believer in Jesus Christ. The demon recognizes who Jesus Christ is, but refuses to recognize his authority over him as a spirit or the whole of creation, for they want to usurp it. And that's the reason why Christ was so unwilling to accept the forced witness of this demon to who he was. And he rebuked him and told him to keep quiet. Because Jesus Christ does not want a mere religious or intellectual witness to who he is as a man and as God. But he wants a witness to himself that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul of man. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what Peter said when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father from heaven. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians tells us, No man can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. And that is what Christ looks for in a man or woman or boy or girl. Not just some kind of intellectual knowledge. And sometimes people say to me, I believe Jesus. I believe he was a man, but he was also God's son. I believe he went to the cross and bled and died and rose again three days later. I believe he's coming again. I believe the Bible. But if that is only an intellectual, mental belief, it is worthless. The devil has that belief. These spirits have it. But do they accept the authority of the servant of God, Jesus Christ, on their lives? And do you? That's the proof whether or not you are the disciple of the Lord Jesus. That's what makes the difference between you and the devil. Martin Luther, who we've heard much about already, said the life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. What does that mean? Well, it's one thing to say that Christ is a savior, to say that Christ is a Lord, that he is a God. But it's a different thing to say he is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my God. The demon testified to his authority out of force. I wonder, have you done it willingly by faith? But the second way his authority was evidenced in this deliverance 
of the unclean spirit from the man was it was attested by the deliverance itself. Not only testified by the demon, but attested by the deliverance. Verse 25, Jesus said to the demon, be quiet, or literally be muzzled. Now, hallelujah, that means that there is hope for any of us. Whatever condition we find ourselves in, whatever sins we have become immersed and been made in bondage to, wherever you find yourself today or I, there is hope because Jesus with just words muzzled a demon. Because of the authority of Christ, the devil, sin, wickedness, darkness of every kind can be defeated. Jesus is stronger than Satan, and Satan to Jesus must buy. Now, Christ was not the first preacher, though he was the best. And in the same sense, Christ was not the first person to exercise a demon, but he was the best, and that is the point of this story. Not only in his teaching did he excel the rest, but in the spelling of this demon from this man was Christ proven to be completely superior to exorcists of his day. This is why the people marveled. They had never seen anything like this before. You see, exorcists in Jesus' day would often go to great elaborate lengths and go through all sorts of incantations and rituals to, to try and cast a demon out, even among the Jews. Josephus the historian tells us uh, of an exorcist by the name of Eliezer, who demonstrated his ability uh, before Vespasian, the emperor of the day. And this is what Josephus says, I quote him directly. He put to the nose of the possessed man a ring, which had under its seal one of the roots prescribed by Solomon. And then, as the man smelled it, he drew out the demon through his nostrils. And when the man at once fell down, he adjured the demon never to come back into him, speaking Solomon's name and reciting the incantations which he had composed. Then, wishing to convince the bystanders and prove to them that he had this power, Eliezer placed a cup or a foot basin full of water a little way off and commanded the demon, as it were, out of the man to overturn it and make it known to the spectators that he had left the man. Now, whether that is authentic or not, it matters not. The point is this. This is what people were used to in, in people attempting to exercise demons from individuals. But Jesus, with just a few words, cast this man's demon out. And it's why the crowd was so astonished. His authority in word and deed was unrivaled. He silenced this demon to prove that he had come to judge Satan and his world. To strip the evil one of his authority, of his power, of his mastery over humanity. And so his authority of deed was testified by the demon, attested by the deliverance. But here's the third and final thing I want you to know that was talked about by everyone. In our last verse we read, immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Please, grasp the the whole import of what is being recorded here by Mark, it was because of the authority of his word and his deeds that they were talking about him. 
Now let me ask you a question. Why aren't people talking about Christians today like this? Is it because, as one has said, we're selling for more than we're worth? Is it because our lives do not measure up to our words as the Lord's did? Is it because our lives do not measure up to our Lord's words as everyone knows them clear in the Gospels and the New Testament? And we are faced today with the task, and I think it's correct to make this uh, direct uh, application, we are given the job of bringing the authority of Christ to others, the kingdom of Christ to others in the gospel. But are people talking about it? No, they're not. Why are they not? Could it be that we do not have authority in our words, perhaps? Because people do not see authority in our deeds. They do not see a difference between us and everyone else. Richard Foster, I heard him say this. You can't preach the good news and be the bad news. That's so simple. That's what Christians are. You look at their faces. You think they just heard bad news at times. Well, you get frowns and moaning at times from people who profess the name of Christ. And that's not the way it should be. You can't preach the good news and be the bad news. He goes on, one of the biggest problems we are facing today is that evangelism has reached the point of diminishing returns. That is, people have to ask themselves, that is those we're evangelizing, what am I to be converted to? Because when they look around at those who are identified as Christians, they don't see much difference. He continues, we are basically in our churches, taken over with theologies of sin management. More sophisticated ways of managing our sin. But God can do a whole lot better than that. Jesus came that a whole lot more than this might happen. Are oh, we come on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening? And are we just managing our sin? So as when God gets the accounts in the day of judgment that no, we'll, we'll be all right because we ask Jesus to come into our heart so that we can go to heaven when we die. Is that what it's all about? That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is about. It's not about heaven when we die. It's about life now while we live. It's about his life making a difference by the Spirit in our lives and our lives by the Spirit touching our lives. The authoritative teaching of Christ was followed by powerful acts. And that is what we need. That's where we're deficient. It is that that will lay hold of a man's heart. It is that that will grip a person and astonish them and cause them to ask, what new teaching is this? Actions must follow words. The scribes peddled a second-hand religion 
And it wasn't real to them. And because it wasn't real to them, it wasn't real to others. Kent Hughes puts it like this. Christ's sermons were like thunder because his life was like lightning. For Christ's words and works went together. And that is what gave his life authority. Remember Nicodemus said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now let me, as I close this message this morning, bring all these truths together. The authority of his word, the authority of his deeds, testified by the demon, attested by deliverance, talked about by everyone. Let me apply them very definitely to our hearts this morning. Here's the first way I want to do it. Listen carefully to this. This passage of scripture means that the tradition of the authority of the word without the tradition of the authority of the deed is not Christian tradition. Where does that leave you? Where does it leave me? Where does it leave this church? In fact, the word without the spirit is powerless, the word of God says. The law has the ability to kill, but that is all it will do if the spirit of life and the new covenant and the gospel does not come. But that is not just a verse on a page in black and white. The gospel is incarnational life. It is Christ in you. And the Christ in you touching others to bring them to Christ. That is what Paul meant when he said, God has made us ministers of the new covenant. He has made us competent to be ministers. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We can quote the verses and the doctrines. We can blast them through loud healers and people aren't listening. Because our lives are not saying the same things. Maybe our lives are contradicting the word of Christ. Here's the second way to apply this. God-given authority that Christ had in his words and deeds were given by God to Christ for the purpose of serving others. Did you hear it? He had it. Why did he have it? To serve others. He was the servant of the Lord. Whereas the scribes and Pharisees were claiming authority for self-serving influence and interest. That's why it's hard for people in authority to serve. And so much authority these days is abused. We laugh at the, the, the name public servant, don't we? You know exactly what I'm talking about. But what about in the church? Power at times intoxicates among pastors and ministers, among elders. But any authority that we have been given, it is given to us not to throw our weight around, but to lay our bodies down for others. How do our deeds match our words? Earl Radmacher is coming to us at Easter. 
as our speaker. And I've been in correspondence with him by email, just preparing for that visit. And he sent me a lovely story this week that touched his heart, and I hope it will touch yours. And it just concludes everything that I've said today. A few years ago, a group of salesmen in the States went to a regional conference in Chicago. And like many men do, they assured their wives that they would be home and plenty of time for Friday night's dinner. And in their rush, with their tickets and briefcases in their hands, one of these sale men inadvertently kicked over a table which held a display of, of apples. You can imagine the apples went flying and rolling everywhere. Without stopping or looking back, they all managed to reach the plane in time for their nearly missed boarding, all but one. One salesman paused, took a deep breath, got in touch with his feelings and experienced a twinge of compassion for the girl whose apple stand had been overturned. He told his buddies to go on without him, waved goodbye and told one of them to call his wife when they arrived at home and, and tell what has happened, why he'd missed the flight. And then he returned to the terminal where the apples were all over the floor and he was glad when he did because he found there a 16-year-old girl that was totally blind. She was softly crying, tears running down her cheeks in frustration and at the plight of how she was going to retrieve all these apples. And the salesman knelt on the floor with her and gathered up all the apples. He put them back on the table. He helped her organize her display the way it was. And as he did this, he noticed that many of those apples had become battered and bruised. And he put those aside in a different basket. And when he had finished, he pulled out his wallet and he said to the girl, Now, here, please take this $40 for the damage we did. Are you all right? And she nodded through the tears. And he continued on with, I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. And as the salesman began to walk away, the bewildered blind girl called out to him, Mister. And he paused, turned to look back into those blind eyes, and she continued, Are you Jesus? This is a true story. He stopped in mid-stride, and he wondered, and then he slowly made his way to catch the later flight with that question burning and bouncing about in his soul. Are you Jesus? Do people mistake you for Jesus? Do the blind people in this world who see no beauty in him on a written page that they should desire him? Does your life make a difference in theirs to such an extent that the authority of Christ is manifest in order to open their lives and see Christ exhibited in your words and in your deeds. Only that will make blind eyes see the authority of the servant of the Lord. Our Father, we pray that everyone here this morning will have the witness of the Spirit to the words and works of Christ. They may know who he is and what he has done for them and apply it to their lives by faith. We pray that all of us as your people will every day recognize afresh the authority of Christ in our lives. That we are not our own, we are bought with a price. 
And salvation is not a ticket to heaven. And we can just sit it easy in first class. But you have left us here to be a testimony and a witness through our words and our deeds to the authority that is in the kingdom of Christ. Lord, help us. We all fall short. Forgive us. Forgive us when we are nothing but Pharisees and scribes debating over this doctrine and another while others go to hell. And whilst we know that the truth is important and coming to a knowledge of the truth, Lord, help us to be balanced. Help us not only to have a tradition of the word, but the tradition of the authority of the deed that others may see us and see not us, but Christ in us. And may they be one to him through our witness. Lord, let this not be another sermon, but make a difference in our lives through this message, we pray. To the glory of the one who is the suffering servant, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.